Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem, Jim. How are you? Shalom, Rabbi. Shalom from uh, the great city of Chicago. Actually, suburban Chicago. We're in the Jewish community here in, in, in uh-huh. suburban Chicago, and it's and the people here have just been wonderful to us. But I digress. How are you doing? So you're on a speaking tour in in yeah. um, the Chicago area, and you're speaking predominantly to Jewish audiences. Jewish, uh, specifically to Jewish audiences. In fact, I spoke. Not only did I speak about uh, the uh, my work in in uh, Riddle of the Exodus, I spoke to Shabbatons, uh, speaking about being a Noahide. And uh, a lot of a lot of folks in the Jewish community know the concept, but many of them had not really met and and spoken with uh, people like yours truly. So uh, it's been very innervating uh, and and very, uh, you know, it's like a small homecoming in a way for me because it's almost like me being able to to spend time in Yerushalayim, you know, and so. So are you actually like the first living, breathing Noahide that some Jewish people have met? In some respects, yes, it, it is, and they have all all kinds of questions, but they usually have the same three questions, and so I'm always prepared to answer them. And what I love about this particular, these venues that we've been speaking in is I have to brag about the work of my two friends, David Wilner and Barnea Sullivan. They are they are rabbi slash archaeologists. They 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 recently got their degrees in archaeology, but they're also orth, orthodox rabbis. So you don't see that often in the archaeological realm. And their their organization called Foundation Stone connects the history of Israel to the archaeology of Israel. So that's why they've asked me to speak because I talk about the Exodus and in an archaeological light. And we're at a, a wonderful facility speaking all this weekend, this past weekend, called Walter Science. And Rabbi, it's it's uh, observant Jewish teachers uh, teaching uh, elementary and high school Jewish uh, student students all about science and Torah. And it's a wonderful melding of those worlds. And they teach these kids, you know, uh, computer coding. Uh, and it's 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 marvelous to see these kids excited about the the connection between real science and real Torah, and I I know you would enjoy it too very much. So, so as a as a Noahide, meaning as a non-Jew who embraces Hashem and embraces the Torah and believes that the Torah was given at Mount Sinai and all the other things about you that. I've come to know and love when Jews meet you for, and they haven't yet met a non-Jew that keeps the Torah. What are, what are the main questions that they ask you? Well, the first thing is they want to know if we're, uh, if we still, and uh, how do I put this without just saying it? If we still, if we're still Christians, because many of us used to be, and uh, that's a misconception. And, and they don't realize that we have fully embraced the Torah as it applies to us as non-Jews, and the, uh, the the fact that anybody, the all of the sages have taught uh, that any non-Jew who embraces fully the Shevimitz vote uh, has a place in the world to come, and you know it, that that sort of metaphorical idea is even expressed by Noah going into the ark by by keeping. Six of the Noahide laws, it saved his life and his family's life. So in essence, that's what we're doing. We're, you know, we're, uh, we're saved from a fate worse than death by fulfilling our mission as, as non-Jews who believe in God and believe that he is one and that, and that you, uh, the Jewish people, are our priesthood. And so they ask us that and they ask us uh, how many there are of us. That's always a big question. Well, right. You know, are there many Noahides? And my, my, my response is always the same. I don't know how many there are, but they are, are emerging constantly. As more people come to Torah and the truth of Torah, uh, they, and they're looking for a way to, to live 
as a non-Jew in the light of Torah, they find it that they can do so. Uh, they, they can connect in that uh, Brit, that covenant that God made with Noah. And the other question is, um, why don't we convert? And that's always an interesting question. And, you know, I don't know what everybody else says. I just, I, I sort of metaphorically hold out my hands like a scale. And I say, over here are seven, and my hand's up in the air. And then I say, over here are 613. And my hand goes way down, like it's very heavy. And I say, I'm not being flip or, 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 or glib, but it's the way every Noahide that I personally know respects your Torah in that we would not go into this life of being a Torah-observant Jew. We don't take it lightly. So we, it's a very weighty thing. And so that's why many of us say, you know, God didn't ask me to, to, uh, to become a Jew. And I think that for me, this is a good fit because it really is. You know, you call it the yoke of the Torah. And we understand that too. And the other thing that they always ask me is, well, how can we help the Noahides and others like you that may not recognize that they're, they're Noahides. And I say, I have two words, Jewish unity. If the Jews across the world will forget all of the, 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 some of the differences that even separate the Jewish community and come together, it will not only help Noahides, it will help the whole world. It'll change the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that will happen. I, I hope for that, don't you? I think I think it is happening, and that's what uh, our organization of Jerusalem Lights is all about. Yes, it's all about giving give, giving access to Torah. And the truth is that the invitation is there and open to all Noahides, to all non-Jews, to embrace the Torah and uh, to accept upon themselves the commandments. And all of this, of course, needs needs to be understood. It needs to be taught and. And um, the truth is that there are billions of Noahides because all people that are descended from Noah are actually B'nai Noah. But the question is how many, as it were, conscious, observant Noahides are aware of the fact that according to Torah, all non-Jews have a direct relationship with the Creator as he is seen through the eyes of the Torah. In other words, the God of Israel is not exclusive and he's not only the god of israel he is the one god the creator of all the world and and this is really the novel idea of of what it means to be an observant and and conscious noahide is to understand that every non-jew has a covenant with hashem through the torah yes and and the the extent to which they wish to uh, to explore that as far as the m- number of mitzvot that they keep and the depth into which they, they approach Torah study, that is all open. That is all, like I said, that's an open invitation. That's a, a different issue because you'll find, as you know, that there are different Noahs that strive for different levels. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that it is, the Torah is not, is not, um, you know, something that is exclusive at all. That's, that's absolutely not what we believe. And of course, the amazing thing about this conversation that we're having now and the experience that you're going through now on a speaking tour and, and meeting people, meeting Jewish people that have, have learned in theory that there is such a thing as non-Jews who love the Torah, but have never been able to meet one before. The amazing thing about all this is, is right? the Torah portion that we are studying this week is actually the, the kind of like the seminal um, portrayal of the, of the um, confrontation as it were in this world, or the, you know, you know, like the, the face of the conflict between Yaakov and Esau, because this is the portion in which they meet after uh, many years of, of having been separated due to the, the, the whole concept of the, the friction of the, over the birthright and the blessing. And, and you know, the forces that, are, that, that Yaakov and Esau represent are the, are the forces uh, that you basically are making some sort of cosmic tikkun for, if you'll allow me to say. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean... I, I, it's like, you know what Ace of is, Jim. Nobody knows as well as you. You wrote a book. You wrote the book about, it's called Blood Brothers, and it's about 
really Yaakov and Esav. And you yourself are like, have escaped from that klipa. Can, may I put it that way? May sure. I? May yeah. I be so bold? You know, it's a klipa. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy, wicked presence in the world. And you have, you have um, eschewed it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, we see that so vividly in this Parsha that this is two worldviews wrestling for for uh, uh, supremacy in the world. The the only difference is is that that Esav and and his worldview wants supremacy, and the idea of of uh, the the worldview or the philosophy that that God wants to dominate the world. Is is coming from Yaakov, who really, in many ways, doesn't want the responsibility. It's or or he's not seeking this this height that Esav wants so badly. Because you know Esav is is we, we see it in this parsha is really carrying on a mindset and a uh, of, of that goes all the way back to the tower and Nimrod wanting to rule the world. And and he got his destiny from from Cain from Cain, and so this is where we are today. This pivotal this is such a pivotal point because the Western world is so much embedded or or Esau's philosophy and outlook on life, wanting to dominate, is what of, runs the Western world. Exactly. Is yes. what, okay. So can I tweak what you said, man? Tweak Please. it. Yes. I would say I would say that Esau wants supremacy in this world. Mm-hmm. Yaakov wants to fix this world, Amen. but he doesn't want supremacy over it. He yeah, doesn't even say, yeah. want it. He doesn't even want it, but he does want to fix it. Yeah. And in fact, in the video this week, I hope I hope to be speaking about that a little bit. And in last week's video also, speaking about the whole concept of Yaakov's relationship with stones over and over again in Parshat Vayetze, it's about revealing sanctity in this world, which Aesop's force basically uh, covers over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let's start from the beginning for a moment. That this portion, it's it's basically uh, you know beginning in in chapter thirty two and verse four of the book of Genesis. It's sprawling. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of things that are going on. It's an array of many of of the seminal events in in Yaakov's life. You know, we have here his famous struggle with the angel, his meeting with Esav, the rape of Dina by Shem, the revenge of Shimon and Levi. And God, of course, adds the additional name of Israel to Jacob. And then you, we have the birth of Benjamin, the death of Rachel, the burial of Yitzhak by Yaakov and Esau. There's a tremendous amount that's going on here. And in fact, the Parsha actually spans 23 years from the time of the encounter between Yaakov and Esau at the time of Yaakov's return from Haran to, to Yitzhak's death. And so, and so uh, Yaakov is an amazing man. We already know that. And the, and the Parsha opens up with... Uh, <laughs> Literally, in the, in the proper English translation, we'll read, and Yaakov sent angels ahead of him to Ace of his brother. So, the, you know, the word in Hebrew, malach, can mean a messenger. Right. It's never really used as, the, as a messenger in modern Hebrew, but it can mean a messenger. So you'll find many uh, Bibles will translate this verse uh, conveniently as Yaakov sent messengers. But the truth is that he sent angels ahead of him. Um, and so that basically <laughs> is telling us that he had angels under his command, which is a pretty amazing thing because... Um, he that shows us something about him, but but yet as we as we begin the parsha, questions abound because because more than twenty years have now passed since since Yaakov received the blessings from from Yitzchak, and yet Yaakov at this point he's you know he's left Lavan, escaped really from Lavan, and he's 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 going he knows that there's going to be a confrontation now with Esav, who when he last left was fuming and and ready to murder him, and now he's still concerned about this meeting. And, and the messengers, the angels, come back and tell him that he that Esav is closing in, basically, to meet him with an army of 400 men. Okay. But I'm saying, Yaakov, let, I don't want to gloss over those first words that Yaakov sent angels out. I don't, what does that even mean, that a, a person has angels under his command? And yet, now, what does he do? This man who had a, 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 an A-team, you know, a, a, a SWAT team of angels that he could dispatch, he prepares a three-part strategy. 
And it consists of sending a gift, praying for deliverance, and preparing for war if necessary. This is all what he's doing to prepare for, for what he knows is going to be a very decisive and dramatic meeting with Esau. And, and he prays to Hashem in chapter 32 and verse 10. And he says, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Hashem who said to me, return to your land and to your relatives and I will do good for you. And then he says, I have become diminished. It's a, an amazing word in Hebrew from the word katan, which of course means small. He says katonti. Katonti, it's a beautiful ring to the ears even. And it basically means I have become small. You remember, honey, I shrunk the kids? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm shrunk, Hashem. I'm shrunk. I'm tiny, tiny, tiny. I have become small. Why? I have become diminished by all the kindnesses and by all the truth that you have done your servants. For with my staff, I crossed Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Rescue me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Asaph. Of course, from the hand of my brother, but yet he doesn't act like my brother. He looks, he acts like Asaph. So what is he saying? I have become diminished. What, is, what does this mean? So, so first of all, before we, we discuss this amazing expression, I have become small. What does he mean? He crossed the Jordan with his staff. And now I've become two camps. So there's two, there's two classic understandings of what he means that he crossed the Jordan with his staff. One on the simple level is that he had nothing else to his name but a stick. And so he was like kind of like reflecting on, wow, Hashem has been so good to me. Like all I had when I started this adventure was the stick that I'm holding. And now Hashem blessed me so much with so much, you know, so much, um, abundance and, 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 and blessing that I'm, I had to split into two halves, you know, my, my, my camp, my families, my possessions, I had nothing else to my name. And now I, I have so much in family and possessions that I can divide it into two huge camps, which he had to do in preparation for his confrontation. But the other famous interpretation of with my staff, I crossed Jordan is that he split the Jordan river with his staff, yeah. literally with my staff. It was the same. Staff. I crossed the Jordan. It was the yes, same it was staff. the same the same staff that Moshe had, the same staff that that Adam ha, uh, had. And as we were learning in our Sunday Zoom class, which is now all about King David, it was the same staff that uh, David had. Yeah, the the, uh, the rod of my inheritance. Yes, and yes. that staff is reserved for Mashiach. Yeah. So we're talking a miracle, is what I'm trying to say. So the point is, uh, I'm I'm trying to give us a, a, some sort of little um, vignette of uh, the, this personality of who he is, you know, that he, okay, so what do I know about him so far, Jim? Well, he can send angels out on a mission. I mean, I don't know how to do that. Is there an app for that? Like, <laughs> how did he do that? Right. And then he possibly was able to split this, 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 the, the river. Right. And so what is the idea? And this is really open up your heart in the deepest way type of thing, because again, this it's, it's just so powerful and evocative and humbling and overwhelming what he said, I have become small. Basically, the Talmud understands from these words that a person for whom a miracle is performed um, his merits are diminished. In other words, you say you have like a, a bank account, you know, you have a credit rating, right? You have a limit to how much you can spend. And Rashi explains that based on this idea, Yaakov was afraid that Hashem had helped him so much that he diminished his merit, his credit, as it, as it were. He was like maxed out. And so he's afraid for, for his meeting with Asa. Like he's thinking like, wow, like Hashem did so much for me. Like what? Like, I'm running on empty. Like, I can't expect this to go on forever. It's called schuyot in Hebrew, schuyot, my merits. He's like, thinking like, wow, I'm totally inadequate because he's done so much kindness for me. So, but again, again, start from the beginning, Yaakov, right? He's got angels under his command. He splits the river with a staff. He sees God at the top of the ladder, and he sends out these commandments. And, he, and then later, as we know in this very portion, he fights with an angel and wins, whatever that means. Mm. He felt inadequate on account of all of Hashem's kindness. He felt small. He felt undeserving. Right? Mm -hmm. Reflecting mm -hmm. on everything that Hashem did for him. He says, "What well, you know what? Katonti. I'm shrunk. Honey, my, Hashem's kindnesses have shrunk me. Yeah, it reminds me of that old uh, Chris Christopherson song, uh, Why Me, Lord? 
And he, he basically yes. the, the refrain is, "What did I ever do to deserve what you you know what yes. you did for me?" And it's a tremendous power of of humility that that it is we all have access to it. And you know, when the, the one of the first uh, times that I was ever taught to prayer year uh, to pray years ago is is to always begin your prayer with thanking Hashem for everything that He had done for you. And because it was a, it was a way of of reminding even yourself uh, of his kindnesses, and it energizes. Jim, this is this is the format of Jewish prayer: is right. that we begin by thanking Hashem. And I, and I, what you just said, and, and Chris Christopher, Chris Christopherson, okay, King <laughs> David. May I quote you? Quote, you you quote Chris. Let me quote King David again, my my beloved King, Psalm 60, 16. Where he prays, you are my master, I have no claim to your benefit. It's a verse. I have no claim to your benefit. It means the kindness that you do for me is not because you owe me anything. Okay? Jim, the, 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 one of the most beautiful and important and moving psalms, and, and again, in the, in the Zoom classes, we have, we have a wonderful group that everyone's invited to join. Just email me, at rabbi at rabbirichman.com. It's really a family. And we've been talking a lot about the different psalms that David said on different occasions because we're learning Samuel 1 in, in depth. But I want to point, point out that Psalms 100 is something that people should be saying a hundred times a day. Psalms 100, say it, say it as many times as you can. A psalm of thanksgiving, call out to Hashem all the earth Serve Hashem with gladness. Come before Him with joyous song. Know that Hashem, He is God. He made us, and we are His. <coughs> Excuse me. His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for Hashem is good. His kindness endures forever, and from generation to generation is His faithfulness. The idea being, again, every single word here is an ocean of depth, but the idea here is, as we've had many occasions to say, and to teach and to reflect upon, the universe is founded on kindness. And we talked about this in relation to Avraham Avinu so many times. The chesed of God, the, the thankfulness that we feel to him for every breath that we take, this is what powers the world. And so reflecting on all of his kindness, Yaakov said, I don't feel that I deserve anything. I don't feel worthy. He knew his own worth. Believe me, he knew that he could send angels out. He knew that he split the Jordan. He knew that he saw God at the top of a ladder. But yet, he felt such tremendous inadequacy compared to the great kindnesses that Hashem was showering with him that he, that he, he didn't. And here's the thing that is important, right? Because today, people think everything is everything is. Is do is do me right? I it's like you know like I, you owe me. Yeah, I was going to say, this is like Esav. What have you got for me, Dad? What, does what, he only what, have one blessing? Yeah, and what's the word we use these days? Entitled? Well, entitled, that's it. Entitled, yes. There, there is this tremendous humility that he possesses. And it, again, this is because he has the DNA of his, of his grandfather, Avraham, in him. He arrived at a time when mankind had said, you know, let us make a name for ourselves and Avraham was the exact opposite of that. He wanted to make a name for God in the world. And I'm amazed is, that you're saying that because I, I, I actually was wanted to say this, that Yaakov learned, literally learned this attitude from Avraham. Yes. Because, because after Avraham's miraculous victory with the five kings, he was afraid. And he, and he said to himself, wow, I descended into the fiery furnace and I was saved. I was mixed up with the five kings and I was saved. And I'm afraid that perhaps I, I received all my reward in this world and I have nothing in the world to come. And that's why Hashem said to him in Lech Lecha chapter 5 and verse 1, fear not, Avram, I am a shield for you. Everything that I did for you in this world, I did for you for free. And your real reward is prepared and waiting for you in the future. And that's the continuation of that very verse in Lech Lecha. Your reward is very great. And, and uh, by the way, all of this is alluded to again in Psalms chapter 31 and verse 20. How great is your goodness that you have hidden away from those for those who fear you. But the thing about Yaakov is that, you know, he could have really felt that he, 
has such tremendous merits, you know, but yet, but yet he, I mean, he knew who he, he, who he was, but yet he feels that he doesn't deserve Hashem's kindness. And we like ordinary people, we think that everything is coming to us. Like you said, entitled that we deserve everything, you know, the best. And if it doesn't come through, we complain, but, but here's something that our sages teach us about Yaakov. The greater a person is, the more the person understands and recognizes how much we are, constantly receiving Hashem's kindness and how small we feel to ask for it. And thus Yaakov, the great, the great man, he knows and feels all of this because really, how can we really expect that we deserve anything? All, all of our good deeds don't amount to anything of what we need to thank Hashem for. Again, Psalm 100, for all the kindness that he bestows upon us all, all the time. And this is a, a major principle in, in Torah and in prayer, you know, in the Jewish concept of prayer, that this is how we feel when we approach Hashem, you know, that, that we contemplate our unworthiness and that Hashem is really showering uh, what, what is known as undeserved kindness, you know, from, from this place, this mystical idea, it's, it's called the treasure trove of undeserved kindness. That's, that's the place from where Hashem gives us this unbelievable goodness moment by moment. And we don't deserve it because it really is all a gift. And that, and that is the most unbelievable thing. So therefore Yaakov, before he, he requests from Hashem to be saved from Esau, he, he, how does he start? By, by acknowledging his inadequacy and emphasizing this feeling of the overwhelming abundance of kindness that he's received from Hashem, saying, I don't actually deserve it. What you've already given me is more than enough, but still I'm allowing myself to ask from you because you're, you're my father. And uh, it's, and that's constantly uh, Yaakov's approach. And, 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 and therefore you see later when he, when Esau asks him about his children, he says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant, using the word Hanan, Hanan, the same, that's how he said graciously given. It means something undeserving. It means a gift outright. Because he saw each child as a, as a gift from Hashem, not as something he deserved. And by the way, Moshe used the same language in Parshat Ve'et Hanan, right? Deuteronomy chapter 3. I implored Hashem at that time, Ve'et Hanan means that he prayed for a gift outright to be able to come into the land, not feeling that he deserved it. And so this is a, ma a major, major idea here, this idea uh, reflected in this one word. I mean, we, I mean, we learn so much in Torah just from one simple word. And that's why I always tell everyone that we have the, the pleasure of learning with together that you have to try and learn it in Hebrew. <laughs> At least you have to have yeah. the best possible translation because you lose so much when you, when you don't understand what the nuances are of, of the words. What happens here is that he... He's preparing, you know, he sends the angels, he finds out that Esau is on his way with the 400 men and he, they return and, and tell him that. And then he, he's frightened and he, which is a whole nother story also, even, even in the face of what we're discussing about how he said, I've become, <coughs> I've become uh, small. <clears throat> um, he, and he, he prepares the, he prepares the camp. And then later when he, in verse 23, he got up that night and took his two wives, his two handmaids, and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of the Abok. <clears throat> and when he took them and had, had them cross over the stream, he sent over his possessions. And that's when he was left alone and a man wrestled with him. As far as, far as that battle is concerned, of course, it is one of the most, um, I would say, easily say it's one of the most esoteric um, lessons in the whole Torah. I mean, we've already learned <clears throat> quite clearly the past few weeks, and I, I know I've been trying to emphasize this idea in our videos, that, that Yaakov is the nation, and that everything that's going on here from basically from this point on <clears throat> is highly symbolic. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and so much about uh, Yaakov and Esav is literally impossible to understand on a simple level of interpretation, so much so that uh, two, two weeks ago in, in Parshat Vayetze, you know, the, the video treatment that, that I was try, trying to give over that week was that when Rivka has these two twins in her womb and she goes to ask of Hashem, what is it all about? And the message that she receives, you know, you have two nations in your womb, that 
is a turning point in Torah study in the book of Genesis, because there is no simple level of meaning right. in that. But it's not, it's not that the rabbis are interpreting that. It's not that a commentary is saying that it's Hashem himself spoke to her through prophecy and said, you don't have two kids in your womb. You have two nations. Yeah. He skipped, he skipped that the whole level of the simple level. And, the, and he said, listen, let's understand what's going on here. You are a symbol. You are a movie trailer for the future. Mm -hmm. This is not about you. This is not about your kids. This is about a historical process that you are, you are jumpstarting. And so too, the whole idea of the battle with the, with the angel is something that is absolutely beyond uh, any simple level of meaning. It is um, symbolizing something that is so powerful can't that verse about the two in her womb, can it be even in, interpreted as there are two princes in, yes. in your womb? So yes. these are heads, these are the heads of empires and the iconography and the, the, uh, the metaphor is uh, multi-layered. Uh, to any person who's, who's reading these verses, there's no simple interpretation. You know, wh why was he left alone? What does that even mean? You know, uh, and then, and then, um, he, he, somebody attacks him. So is this, is this some sort of bandit? Is it, is it a pirate that was waiting to waylay him? Is it a, and so he's attacked and somebody is wrestling with him. And, and the word here also, right? Yaakov levado. Yaakov remained alone. And, and we didn't even talk yet about why he, he went back because he, he crossed his family, but then he went back. So he's alone and somebody uh, is wrestling with him, not, not fighting, not robbing, but wrestling with him until dawn. And whoever this is sees at dawn that he can't best him. So he wounds him in the hip socket. What, what is that? What is that? And then after this, this attacker who sees that he can't win, but does succeed in wounding him, he says to his victim, send me because Don has, Don has arrived. What, what is, how could this possibly be read by anyone to, be, to, to make any sense to us? So he says to his victim, please send me as if like by your leave, like I can't leave until you give me permission right. because Don is right. What does that have to do with anything? And then Yaakov says, I won't send you until you bless me. I mean, when is the last time that you asked your attacker, your mugger to bless you? And what is this even all about? Oh, it's with the name change. Okay, you want me to bless you? Well, okay, you, you know, this used to be your name. It doesn't go like that anymore. It goes like this. And, 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 and so, yeah, and so Yaakov says, tell me your name. Oh, you, you changed my name. Hey, tell me, let's be besties. You could, you told me your name. You, you changed my name. Tell me your name. So then he says, what are you asking my name for? What are you asking me my name for? Oh my goodness. And then Yaakov calls the place Peniel, for I have seen Hashem face to face, yet my life was spared. And so uh, this is all very very, very, very amazing. And there are so many secrets here that are just starting from the beginning, right? This idea of Yaakov remaining alone. And again, Jim, aren't these words reminiscent of a prophecy that we will find much later in the book of Numbers, delivered by none other than Uncle Bilam, the heathen prophet of renown, who said in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 9, behold, it's a nation that will dwell alone. Right and not be reckoned among the nations. And in fact, uh, we see throughout the generations that Israel is, is alone. And in fact, Asaph eternally hates Israel. But, but this battle is understood by our sages as some sort of power struggle on a spiritual level, the revelation of Yaakov's ability to stand alone and to deal with, with those that are greater and more powerful than himself and to emerge whole from all of this. So there's a, there's, there's an amazing, uh, there's so many concepts that are going here. Again, the, 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 the um, detail and the, and the meaning in the, in Hebrew, like this word, Vayavik, he battled with him. You know, the, the root of this word, Vayavik, the root of that word 
is avak, which means dust. And so the sages explained, you know, you know that uh, they were wrestling, you know, <laughs> they, were, they were at it all night long and they kicked up dust. So the word vayavik, which means that they wrestled, the root of that word is dust because they are, they are um, making like a, a cloud of dust. And the sages say, this is a mystical teaching, that the dust from their fight that they kicked up with their feet reached until the throne of glory. And this also is a, is a very, very powerful idea. Oh my goodness, it's basically the idea of um, this sort of battle that's going on that is about clarifying the divine image in which man was created. Because man's, man's soul was taken from underneath the throne of glory. And he has the ability to elevate his soul through positive acts. So the, this whole thing is going on here having to do with a clarification, you know, I mean, well, what is this really all about? Angels that wrestle with men. What, what is his mission exactly? What is, okay, so everybody knows the famous statement, you know, it's, it's overdone, it's, it's overused, the idea that this was the angel of Asav. This was the ministering angel of Asav. Um, I say that it's overdone because we really need to understand on, on many levels what this is all about. Like, for example, you know, why does the angel say, release me for the dawn has risen? You know, why, why do they say that? And it's, the sages actually kind of reconstruct the conversation that took place between Yaakov and the angel. Like he, he says, release me for the day is done. Yaakov says, what, what, what are you afraid of morning? Are you like a vampire? You know, are you, are you a thief? Are you afraid to be caught? You know, you can't be out in the morning. And he said, no, I'm an angel. And here's where it gets really, really interesting actually amazing because as most people know the reason why the angel said you know please release me because the day has dawned and the angels sing their song of praise to Hashem in the morning so it's like it's time for me to sing my song and so and so um, please release me but the but the amazing thing about it that's even more amazing is that the angel only has one song to sing and only sings it once, right? So this particular angel, since the day that he was created, it was never his turn to sing. And now it's his turn to sing. And this is actually one of the deepest things that I have ever shared. It's just absolutely amazing. So he's saying like, okay, you, you won. And we'll discuss, soon we'll discuss what the, what the touch in the hip socket was too. But okay, you won. So now let me go because I, now I can sing my song. I could never sing my song before. I've been around forever. I'm an angel. I've been around forever. But I couldn't, you know, since Hashem created me at the beginning of creation, but I couldn't sing my song until now. So Yaakov must have been like, how does this work exactly? I've, I've heard of a lot of excuses for like, you know, not being able to mention you lost, you know, but now exactly you have to go and sing. What, how is that? What is that? How does that work exactly? Because the angel is saying that his entire purpose in the whole divine scheme of things, his part to play in the universe is, is, is coming into fruition right now. Now I can sing. And until now, I didn't have that opportunity. And yes, you know, we, again, we're taught this, this angel is a sub guardian angel. So that's the, he, the song obviously has to do with the, with this direct confrontation with Yaakov. And, and by the way, in this confrontation, the angel who was bested, again, the, the wound that he gave him in the hip socket is a different story that we'll discuss, but he was bested. And so now that angel of Esau is finally really aware on the deepest level of, Yaakov, of who Yaakov is. And, and by the way, part of the whole understanding of the struggle with the angel is that Yaakov now proved, and this is why this is so important to understand, that, he, that those blessings that you might have thought that he took with subterfuge, again, through Rivka's prophecy and through Rivka's urging and her idea, that you might have thought it was subterfuge? No. This, this, is, this is, what, is what this was all about. And this is what the, the blessing of the angel was all about. And this is what, open up your heart in the very deepest way ever. This is what the name of Israel is really all about. Yeah. This is why he renamed him Israel, saying Yashar El, straight. This is, yes, these are your blessings. This is, this is it is, the angel song now is a song of praise of Israel. 
it is the acknowledgement of the blessings. And that's why the, when Yaakov says, I won't release you until you bless me, the angel finally reveals his name. And he says, you, your name is going to be called Israel. This is what, this is what a, the whole thing is. It, it's, a, it's a very, it's, it's like a noble and, and a prophetic title that reveals God's plan and how it would be implemented in the material world. I mean, the fact that they were wrestling in the dirt and it, it was to be uh, given to one who would fully realize that ever since creation, God wanted a true partnership in building the world. And after Adam, that partnership would require a, a struggle to achieve the the heaven on earth. The, and that holy struggle was part of uh, Jacob's own epiphany. And he was the first to realize that this was his holy task to bring that connection, that sulam between heaven and earth. And he, he finally he, he accepted it by saying, you know, amen, I, I will do this. And he was asking for it. He was asking to give me the job, you know, which I think really uh, clarifies his, his uh, uh, where he had come in his life. This, uh, this is this huge turning point for him. Uh, I am going to continue the, the struggle, right? And I want to I want to take this to an important place also because, and this is this is again this is to me this is just so absolutely absolutely shockingly amazingly important. I mean, what is this really all about? Angels that wrestles with wrestle with men, you know? What what what? Why does the angel have this mission? So you know how people talk about Hasatan. And it's, a, it's, you know, people make a big issue because especially when they come to Torah with a foreign ideology, with a, with a non-Jewish, um, you know, uh, baggage ticket, and they think that there's a red, a red devil, you know, with, with horns. And so they, they see there's a word in the Torah uses hasatan, the which hasatan. is the adversary, right? Yeah. Right. It's a job an description. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. It's an, ad, it's an adversary, which is sent to test each one of us, just as we each have inside of us a Yetzir an evil inclination, which is actually an angelic essential being, but yet it's us. In other words, it's part of our own personality because every person's Yetzir is different. So it's part of our personality and, in, and inside of each of us, but yet it's not, it's not an evil agent that is vying with Hashem for control. It was created by Hashem. Hasatan also is is not an evil, you know, agent that is that is you know like uh, might win because he he might take over the world because he's fighting with Hashem. No, and and this and then then we go a, a step deeper, and this be, is so beautiful. I just hope you're listening because this is my listeners. This is so important. The mission of these forces isn't even really to fight with a person. The mission is to wrestle. Yes. And that's the idea. The mission is to wrestle, not to subdue a person, but to wrestle with a person so that the person will win and, and be victorious over the angel. This is what Hashem wants. This is why Hashem sends the angel. In other words, it's just so deep. This is the deepest thing I ever heard, right? We've said this before. The angel's mission is to fail. The angel's mission is to cause the person to be victorious. This is so beautiful. And that's why now the angel said, I could never sing my song until now. Now I can sing because now my mission is complete because you won. Yeah. My song is, is, is ready to be sung now because you won. And therefore I accomplished my, my mission because my mission, right? Your mission, Jim, should you choose to accept it <laughs> is to fail, right? The angel's name is Jim. Let's say Mr. Phelps, right? Your mission is to fail. And, and it, because the angel's mission is to cause us to use all our own power as we struggle over a lifetime with all the things that Hashem sets up in our lives as, as adversity so that we learn more and more about ourselves, about our own powers, revealing greater inner strengths that we have so that we will best the angel and ultimately win. And yeah. in the process, we elevate our souls, we refine ourselves, we advance closer to Hashem, we become better people. And so the angel is is now able to sing because when he fought all night long, wrestled all night long and saw that he couldn't beat him, he says, let me go. The dawn is broken. I can sing my song now because my mission has been fulfilled because you won. 
Yeah. And that's and so same- now Yaakov wants the angel's blessing. He says, yeah. I won't, I won't let you go until you bless because now he understands everything because he's learned about himself and he wants Asaph's angel to confirm that his father Yitzhak's blessings were actually meant for him and rightfully obtained. Yeah. He went from, he went from feeling completely diminished and unworthy and he grew literally through that struggle. And when seeing, by saying, I've seen the face, the face of God, he's realized that every single thing that comes his way in life is supposed to come his way. And it's sent by God. Even the bad things come from God. Because how do we, we all, we all know this. We've, we've all learned this is a very elementary aspect of life is that we all grow through adversity. It, it, exactly. builds, it builds character. You know, and in get, fact, in yeah. fact, because the Torah has a universal message for Jews and for non-Jews and for all of us that are created in Hashem's image, it's so important to understand why we're learning this this week. Because Yaakov's wrestling with the angel teaches us, reminds us all about the struggles that we each face all the time with our own angels. Yeah. Everybody has a Satan. Everybody has their own adverse adversity and their own angels that 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 forces us to to wrestle to struggle with ourselves through the long night of yeah. the world right when we and and yeah. and and the but this is the important thing that will change our lives that will make us that will make us look up and strengthen us if we realize this is like the most important thing i think that i've ever said in my life <laughs> no, I, I have an extreme personality i get excited but this is definitely the most important thing that i've ever said i want everyone to remember it our angels want nothing better than for that than to fail because if we are victorious then then we enable our angels to fulfill their purpose and to sing their beautiful song of creation because their song to hashem is the song of our victory over ourselves right right when we hear that voice that inner voice uh, in us that says, you're not worth it, you can't do this, you're not up to the task, that is the voice of, of HaSatan, of the Satan. And the idea is we're supposed to say, no, I can do this. Hashem tells me I can do this. I will overcome this. I will achieve this. And so it, it's it's the mechanism that, that builds our soul, right? Exactly. Exactly. This is just so amazing. And this is Torah for everyone. This is why it's so important for us to understand when we are learning these things, this is not a story. This is not um, limited in any way. This is the stuff of our lives. And that's exactly why it is the weekly portion, because this is exactly what we need to hear this week. Yeah. I mean, this is the same thing that Eve heard in the garden. The Nachash came in that same form and said, and, and, and wanted her to doubt the Creator. Has God really said this? We face that too. We face doubts about the, the, uh, uh, the aspect of Hashem and, and is He being kind to us and is He being good to us? About that idea that we spoke about earlier, is He being kind to us? Is He being good to us? And Yaakov, who says, I am small, I have become diminished. I want, to, I want to emphasize also that we learned such an important lesson from Yaakov's words, because if such a righteous person as him, again, who had angels under his command, who fought with his angel, wrestled with his angel and one who split the Jordan, et cetera, et cetera. If he felt that he was undeserving of Hashem's kindness, it, that really shows us how much we need to reflect on Psalm 100 and how much Hashem does to, for us, because there's so many things that we take for granted and human nature from the time that we're small, from the time that we're children is that we think that everything is coming to us. And we forget, we forget, we forget to acknowledge God's goodness in our lives. And so that's why it's so important to remember Hashem's kindness at every moment and to thank him for being alive and for every breath that we take. It is absolutely a game changer when we can keep in mind that thankfulness changes our lives. It literally changes our lives when we are, when we make room in our in our heart to be grateful to Hashem. Amen. I want to I want to just add one thing because it's also part of this whole mystery, and that is this business about, um, you know, when he perceived that he could not overcome him, then he struck the socket of his hip. So Jacob's hip socket was dislocated as he wrestled with him. And then um, further on a few verses, you know, uh, the sun rose as he passed Penuel and he was limping on his hip. 
Therefore, the children of Israel are not to eat the displaced sinew of the hip socket to this day, because he struck Jacob, Jacob's hip socket on the displaced sinew. So this is a, a kind of a, an unusual situation. We actually have a commandment in Torah, which is a negative commandment, meaning it's a do not do, that we, there is a certain um, sinew, sinew, is it pronounced sinew or sinew? Well, sinew. Well, I'm a, I'm a vegan, so this is all theoretical You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> exactly. So, so this sinew uh, that's described in our Parsha, uh, which the angel uh, struck, we are uh, not allowed to eat. It's a, it's a commandment in Torah. It's not kosher. And in fact, it has to be removed from, from the meat before that, that, uh, that um, cut of meat is rendered kosher. That has to be removed. So what, what is that all about? Uh, why is that? In other words, this is, again, the whole story is really a symbolic story. I'm not saying that it didn't happen physically. I'm saying that it, it, it greatly transcends its simple meaning because we know that everything about Yaakov is, must, be, must be understood on a much higher level. So why is this business with that um, damage to that sinew so severe that it's actually forbidden uh, for, the, for the Jewish people? It's even forbidden to derive any benefit from it. We can't, we're not even allowed to feed it to, to an animal, to a dog. It, it has to be uh, absolutely banned in every way, right? So what is that all about? So again, the, the angel could not find any way to best... Yaakov. And so there is an idea on a, on a mystical level that it, that it represents sexuality, that it is, um, therefore, the, and as it's described as the thigh, right? And as it's a, the yeah. part of the lower body. The idea is that it is symbolic of the seat of the Yitzhahara, which is understood on a, on a certain Kabbalistic level, always the Yitzhahara is basically the, the, Desire to receive alone. It's egoism. It's the desire for me only um, and not to do for others. And the idea is that that, that sino, as it were, strengthens that, that, um, that desire to receive for oneself alone, kind of like as a, as a root of, of something negative. And that's why it's supposed to be removed. So on, on one level, the idea here is that you could say that the angel saw that, the, uh, and again, according to that understanding that it, we, we interpret it now, you and I, for quite a few minutes and a very beautiful level of it being within a person, the, the challenge of a person rising to their own potential to defeat their own demons, as it were, right? And, and to, yeah. be able to, to be able to shine forth with everything that they have. On the on the line of reasoning that it is the, the adversary of, of Asa, right? And this is like a cosmic eternal struggle between forces. The idea is that the angel saw that the that the, the vulnerable place to strike is the area of sexuality where we all know one has to place extra vigilance and extra guard. And that is that is an area that can be the undoing, the unraveling of a person's image of God, and that has to be treated with tremendous sanctity. So that's one one uh, kind of um, symbolic explanation of why he struck him there. The other, and then by the same token, the idea is because that you know, region of the body represents, let's say, the reproductive, right? The, descendant, um, the, the reproductive, off, the, the exactly the reproductive the organs and and the ability to produce. So on a on a on a much um, sharper and, and harsher and existential note. The idea is he's, and this is this is um, very, uh, how should I say, sobering and very, and, a, and it's very very um, stark kind of vision. The idea is, he said, okay, you know what? I can't, I can't beat you. Asaph says through his angel, I can't beat you because we again on the simplest level that we began talking about in the very beginning of the broadcast, as you were pointing out, this is a struggle, but for supremacy. Yeah. And Yaakov doesn't want the supremacy. He wants to fix the world. And Esav wants to, the, the supremacy, which is dependent on putting Yaakov down. And so his angel says, you know what? I can't beat you, but I will strike you, your children in the future. In other words, the, the, the danger is always going to be the raising of the next generation, the, 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 the education of the next generation. That's where you're most vulnerable. You're most vulnerable 
in your future generations and indeed this is a, a tremendous challenge you know to to make sure that our youth are are motivated and our youth are are um, clinging to Torah, clinging to Hashem, and that's part of the eternal struggle of Yaakov in this world, yeah. as this as the generations cascade and and catapult into the future. And that is also something a, a reverberation, as it were, from that night that where Yaakov was alone, as it were, and how that has to be carried in the future in terms of him of him bequeathing the responsibility of what it means to be Yaakov backslash Israel as the nation. In the, in the world and everything that Yaakov is supposed to be accomplishing in this world. Yeah, Rabbi, look at the direct co connection you've already made between this event and the children of Israel uh, being looked down upon by Bilam, who is trying to curse Israel, and he says, they dwell alone. He's looking at their tents, and he says, they dwell alone among the nations. And yet, how does he tell the king, Balak, that he can strike them? By, by appealing exactly. to their sexuality. By trying to trip up their sexuality. Right. right. So, so that, that inverted commas here, a blessing of Bilam, which he was up to no good, of course, looking at the nation of Israel and praising them um, because he was forced to by Hashem, that they are a nation of alone, that dwells alone, is, an ex is as it were, and Bilam is is continuing, uh, as it were, the, the, to represent the struggles, represent the strike against Yaakov, right? Mm -hmm. And he, and that aloneness that he is ascribing to Jacob is a direct extension and continuation of Yaakov being alone that night. This is exactly what you're saying. It's a very beautiful thought because Bilam came along and said and and amplified the strike of the angel in the hip socket saying, yes, this is how to trip them up, yeah. trip them up through, through th this area of human frailness. Sending the daughters uh, down into, to daughters of Moab. The, yeah. To entice the men into committing sexual sins. It's, it's an amazing uh, link that I, I never thought of before. So again, there's so many levels of meaning in every, in every verse of Torah, Jim. That's what, that's what's so exciting and, and, um, and so wonderful about the experience, the adventure of Torah study. And you know that there's a, an idea that our rabbis tell us that when we pray to Hashem, and I hope that we pray with all of our heart and with all of our, with all of our soul and all of our might and thankfulness, when we pray to Hashem, it's, we're speaking to Him. But when we study Torah sincerely with an open heart, and our eyes are open to perceive its wonders, then Hashem is speaking to us. And so that's really the, the feeling of excitement of Torah study is that it's Hashem's voice that is, that is um, speaking to us and, and enlightening us in the wonders of His Torah. Even in the most mundane conversations between these, these uh, towering figures in, in the Torah, we see an example of, in this exchange of words, that uh, Yaakov has with Esav after this wrestling and they finally meet up and it, he says to him, you know, uh, Esau urges Jacob to join him and they'll travel together to the home of Esau in Mount Seir. And Jacob demurs, he says, uh, please go ahead of me, my Lord. I will lead my group slowly, follow the pace of the work that I have ahead of me and the pace of the children and I will eventually come to you. History is a witness of these words coming to pass. Esau is, is Edom is the embodiment of the Western world established through the Greco-Roman culture and empire that continues to influence all of us today. This is Esau going ahead of Jacob. And that's, that's a heavy prophecy in those simple words of, oh, just go ahead of me. Boom, it's a prophecy. In this world, though, in this yes. world. Yes, of course, of course. Yaakov will catch up and he will be there in the end, prophetically, the end of days. And for a couple of weeks now that we've been, that we started the whole story of Yaakov and Esau from the end of, told, from Toldot already, uh, I mentioned several times the prophecy of Obadiah, but it's actually the Haftorah for this week's Torah portion yes. for Vayishlach. Everyone so, should examine the one page prophecy of Obadiah which details Hashem's feelings. Let's ask Hashem how he feels about this. Hashem's feelings about the future place of Yaakov and Esav. Especially Esav. 
Not the fate of all of Esau's descendants that, that, are, that are good people, but the fate of the spirit of Esau that wants yes. to uproot Hashem from the world. Let's just make that perfectly clear. The philosophy, the worldview. The of philosophy, Esau. exactly. The philosophy right. of Esau. Amen. I want to take this opportunity to wish you, Jim, a wonderful and safe drive back from Chicago to Arkansas. I thank you. I will take those words to heart and uh, keep an eye forward on the road. And and uh, it's a little icy out there these days. So, yeah. Oh, my thank goodness. You. Thank you for that. All so, right. Safe travels. Amen. And let's bless all of our listeners with a wonderful week of Kislev here as we progress towards Hanukkah, which is coming up very soon. And we slowly, slowly, slowly begin to reveal the hidden light that is so much a part of this month. Shalom, shalom.